Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Really happy today to have Jennifer Lee from PhotoMath here with me. We're going to talk about math. We're going to talk about apps and how kids are learning math and getting help. But before we get to any of that, I want to welcome Jennifer to the show. Welcome to Trending in Education. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. We are very excited to be here and to geek out on math. Awesome. And you are the, the chief growth officer. You're understanding where the application is being used. We're going to learn more about that down the road. But we always like to begin by getting a little more about you. How did you get to this point in your career? Can you catch us up on what got you to this point in your professional life? Sure. I am a little bit different than most folks over at PhotoMath. I was an investor for many years and I had the privilege to get to know the, the PhotoMath team. was really inspired by the story and the opportunity to really help as many students as possible understand, learn, and really become comfortable with math. It's such a foundational skill that I just got too excited and I wanted to join. So I've been with the team now for almost five years and, yeah, as you said, help focus on how do we bring math learning to more and more users globally? Yeah. And your skill, which I was noting in my, my prep here, your skill is pretty impressive. Can you catch up on what PhotoMath is, but then also how many folks are using it? Because that was the part that, that kind of blew me away a little bit. So we've had over 270 million downloads of the app to date, and we help students solve well over a billion problems in a given month. Even though those numbers are large, what we like to think about is all the students out there who need help. And, and the number that I always get really fixated on is that currently today, there are 1 billion students in our age range, which we define as about fifth grade all the way through college. And fifth grade is when math starts getting difficult and parents have difficulty helping. And also when students start getting their first cell phones. So there's a billion of those students in that age range who are mandated by the government to learn math year over year over year. So it's a yeah. huge market and a huge need. And also we think of then about the kind of one and a half to two billion parents and teachers who are trying to support those students. I'm a little biased in that I've always enjoyed math and I've taught math and it's something that I, it's a very foundational way in which I understand the world around me. And I get frustrated when I hear now people don't even have access to that mindset, that math can be like a natural way of understanding the world, just like language is. And that's why when I started to see the use case, which is to your point, the rising generation of kids, they have smartphones most likely in some capacity and they're struggling with math in some capacity. So the idea that you're trying to be that facilitator to this experience so that kids don't get so frustrated so that there's so many competing things out there. It, it sounds like there's a real need for yeah, like what, what you've built. Can, can you describe that a little bit? Yeah. So I think there's some really interesting, as you, as you highlighted, there's a huge need, right? Math is such a fundamental subject that becomes a basis for STEM and gives the confidence for students to be able to pursue areas which will become critical to their careers. If you think about all the jobs in the 21st and century and beyond, they're really, many of them are STEM-focused careers. The thing that we note, though, when we talk about where students struggle, it is a growing and increasing problem as students get over older and older with math. This is a U.S. specific number, but what we find is that when students hit fourth grade, about 40% of them are no longer proficient in math. When they hit eighth grade, that's 60% of those students are no longer proficient in math. And by the time they hit college, 75% 
of incoming college students are not ready for college level math. So this is a situation that kind of compounds over time and really grows. And it's a real struggling point because it's also where students then start taking themselves out or stop pursuing other learning areas that we mentioned, all those STEM fields, because they feel, oh, if I'm not good at math, then I won't be able to then learn physics and I won't be able to do computer science and so right. forth down the line. And that we think is like, the crucial thing is to really make sure every student can feel confident about their math learning and that they can be a math person. Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to someone who was focused on early childhood education. I have, I have a young son and he was talking about how it's important to develop a learner identity and a way in which people think about themselves and think about how they learn things. And I do feel like that is almost a danger with math that folks, to your point, have some rougher experiences at a very formative age, and then they almost other the math out of their life. And they say, I am not a math person. We wind up talking a lot about growth mindset. And to me, growth mindset is very closely tied to the, the kind of mindsets that make you good at math. And then those frequently are the ones that will thrive in the future workplace because you're going to be presented with novel experiences, you're going to have to lean into some of the experimentation, be comfortable getting things wrong, be comfortable reaching out for help. I was struck by that looking at your application where like it, it is providing a lot of like that scaffolding through the problem. Uh, can you describe uh, a bit what PhotoMath is and where it helps? Sure. So what we start off with is, so we're mobile app students, parents, teachers can go on to any the iOS or uh, Google Play Store, download the app for free, open it up. And then the beginning point is to be able to take a scan a photo or take a picture of a math problem that you're struggling with. And we find this as the natural starting point because a lot of students don't even know where to start asking that question. Like they're not even sure what to, you know, put in their search bar. They're not even sure what question to ask a friend or a tutor. And so it's a very natural point to scan and say, hey, this is a math problem I'm trying to understand and learn. We use AI and um, computer recognition technology to understand and interpret it. And then we provide information that we think helps students understand how to approach and solve that problem. And that's the basic premise of it. And what we find, as you said, is a lot of students, um, once they get into that mentality of, oh, I don't get this, I'm not a math person, they become too embarrassed to reach out. They're too embarrassed to reach out to their friends. They maybe they're perceived as a very smart student at school. So they don't want to admit to the teacher quite yet that they don't get something and then they just start falling behind. And PhotoMath becomes actually a really, really safe space for students to say, hey, I don't get something. How do I approach it? It's a really good starting point um, to engage with content and explanations on how to approach it. And then from there, we find often students can then take it to their teacher and say, hey, I'm still stuck on this particular point. Or um, they can dive deeper into the app and say, hey, why am I doing this step? What does this particular underlying feature mean? And they can engage with some of the additional content within PhotoMath to further that learning and understanding. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting the 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 kind of AI chatbot kind of identity that can help someone is something that it, I'm hearing about increasingly. There are some benefits to the idea that I'm not actually asking a person for help in that. Lots of times kids or even adult learners, outside of the whether you're perceived as less somehow by asking for help, it's also you don't want to necessarily bother anybody. And like mm -hmm. it, it's just built into the application that 
this is just an extension of myself that is supposed to help me through this stuff. I think I'm hearing more and more about that. And I'd love to get a little bit of your perspective on that blending and augmentation of human with the app to make them. There's a little bit of a cyborg element to this, Jennifer, which, which is always intriguing. I don't talk about the robot overlords all the time because it, it keeps those downloads coming, but, uh, but there is an element of with the right supplemental support, you can empower the learner to get through some things they might've otherwise not been able to do pretty much on themselves on their own. And then to your point, figuring out when they do need the human connection and when that is a critical piece. And especially over the last few years, I think we've all been reminded of how fundamental that human connection is. Any perspective on the, the cyborg revolution yeah. and whatever else I'm, I'm talking about right now? I think, Michael, you, you really hit the nail on the head on the word that I want to latch on to is the word empower, right? And for us, photo math, what we do is like we have... Um, a huge set of amazing engineers, AI engineers, research set, math R&D specialists who really think about how do we enable technology to empower the student, to make them feel confident that they can learn. And we try to do that throughout our organization and throughout our product build. One of the most obvious ways is what I talked about initially is like, how can we understand what it is the student is trying to learn? But then we also use AI throughout to ensure like, how do we make sure that we can create content that is meaningful for students in a really scalable and efficient way that's super high quality. And I think having that standard, like utilizing computers as much as possible and software programs to help generate some of that content enables us to have a higher level of quality and consistency. And we obviously there are math teachers and math R&D specialists who review that and say, hey, is this the best way that we want to teach this pedagogically? Is this the most effective way to teach it. And really interesting when we can start using some of this AI, is this the most effective way to teach it in this country or in that, but another country based off of the way that their curriculum is set up, even down to the state level and eventually down to the personal level, right? So right. even if you're a student sitting in Arizona or Florida or in Jakarta and Indonesia, there might be one way that you are taught math that aligns with your curriculum, but you could actually see a there could be other means that work well for you, different presentation of information, visuals, audio components, and how do we understand what eventually works best for you as an individual, given the curriculum and what you're trying to study. So that's how we think a lot about applying our AI research and our machine learning algorithms. It's like, how do we continue to understand better what the student wants to learn, how they learn, and how do we then utilize it also to create content more effectively? And those mm -hmm. all kind of combine together in a big, circular loop that we call our content growth loop. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of uh, ecosystem thinking, systems thinking, but also taking a step back and understanding how all these different components have to relate to one another. And another theme that's come up a lot is as an organization, do you have an AI strategy these days? And if you don't, you probably should develop one. And then if you do it, each one is going to be very different depending on the organization that, that you're leading and then the space that you're trying to occupy. But what I found really striking about this is the idea of making it really easy on the user to, to capture a lot of really varied data about how people visually comprehend math and then to snap that into the AI, you know, engine, 
makes a lot of sense. It did remind me a little bit of all the recaptchas that I have to go through <laughs> and how that's ultimately training an AI engine, but also the scale that you're operating at. It's pretty impressive to be applying innovative AI strategies against this massive data set. Cause it's always one of the challenges of designing really robust and insightful, beneficial artificial intelligence and machine learning is having enough of a meaningfully instrumented data set to work from. I imagine that's a real flywheel in, in terms of how y'all are, are operating. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a, a crucial component, right, for any, as you said, data sets, the quality of your data sets, the distribution of your data sets, what biases are introduced into your data sets, all that kind of stuff is a, a critical component to how we think about and what drives our machine learning models. And I would say, obviously, when it comes to student learning, it's really crucial that we respect the privacy of students as well, particularly underage students. And we're extremely mindful about what kind of data is collected. But at the very least, what's interesting is we can collect a lot of information about the types of math problems that are being scanned, right? So right. generally less, not so sensitive data. What math is being learned? What math problems are being solved? Where do people, types do people struggle with? What type of information tends to help them more? And, and this is all for their supplemental learning. How do we help them outside of the classroom to, to support and um, augment the learning that is happening inside the classroom as well, which is actually one of the big areas where, where teachers like to engage with photo math, right? Is that they can give, this as a tool for students to help check their answers, to look at various different ways to approach problems, and then have kind of that robust conversation in the classroom about the different approaches. Why did photo math take this approach or how could you've taken it? What are other options? What could be more effective? What's other ways to look at this problem? And it becomes a really nice discussion point, a conversation, which is stuff that you really cannot supplement, right? right. Or, like, or replace out right. with the AI. Yeah, although it, it is interesting also to think through how in light, things are generally open book tests. And if you have access to some of these supplemental tools, it reminds me of, you know, calculators and a lot of the controversy way back in the day about whether it's okay to teach kids to use calculators while solving problems, because if they had to solve them without a calculator, maybe they would learn better or differently. I think that is an interesting question in the abstract, but from a practical level, I, I think it becomes really difficult to argue against leveraging emerging technology to make you more effective at the STEM fields. Like the, the idea that if you want to be an engineer, and you're averse to doing any coding, you know, like you're not necessarily going to see a career path, you know, in say five, 10 years. And that's why I do think the connection between the, the sort of design concept of photo math and the way in which people actually operate in the workplace is really interesting. I, I would be curious if you have any thoughts about where you know, either the world of education, world of learning, but in particular, the world of work is heading. And you were talking about the importance of math as a fundamental underpinning to being an effective employee, an effective citizen. Any ways to connect the dots between what you're doing in the, the near term to maybe how it might fit into some of the, the broader trends that we're seeing around workplace and, and learning and, and things that are changing? Yeah, I, I think you hit on a lot of big trends that are happening 
in the workforce, which then trickles down into the educational sphere. Because if we believe that learning is beneficial for the learning sake, but it's also a mechanism to prepare and ensure that we have an educated workforce, then what we could say is, look, access to information, making sure that you can find information easily and critically evaluate information are some of the key skill sets that are going to be necessary for the future of work, right? More so than rote memorization or being able to calculate things quickly. It's that access to information and the critical ability to think through it. And then I think when we think about that overall trend, what we are um, really supportive of on the educational side is when it comes to certain types of learning, there's different types. There's procedural learning, conceptual learning, being able to uh, apply things more generally, right? Like mastery of information. And I think what we were starting to see is some of that shift in the focus of where some of that time is spent. So procedural learning is still really crucial, but making sure that you can do something, do the same math problem 50, 100 times so that you're like the fastest at it is probably um, a step too far in the procedural emphasis, right? It's more, we want to shift back to some of that conceptual learning, the applicational knowledge and all that kind of things. And I think Math as a tool has helped with that conversation and also ensured that we continue to focus on the right areas in the educational system as well to reflect what are the needs in the workforce. Yeah. Yeah. And is it formative generally? Is the idea that the help you're getting is not necessarily to solve the entirety of the problem? I'm just not 100% clear on actually how much of it is giving me the solution and the explanation versus giving me the right way to approach the problem and then leave the remainder of the solution on me. So what we do is we actually provide students with, the first thing we actually do and intentionally so is actually provide the students with the answer itself. Okay. And it's because we don't think that there's much pedagogical value to the answer. The answer is helpful for two reasons. One, it gives the student um, and parent, because we often find a lot of parents are utilizing the app to help their students. And I can go into that in further detail. Yeah, uh, but it, it helps them understand like, okay, do I have, do I have the correct answer? Yes or no. And then it gives them the space to really get into how did I get there? Mm-hmm. And what are the different approaches to get there? So when we say, do we have the right answer? One major use case of photo math is to check, like mm-hmm. I've done my homework. Did I get it all mm-hmm. correct? Is where do I need to dig into? And so being able to get that answer right away, so is like, good, good, great. Oh no, I didn't get this one. Why? why? Let me dig mm-hmm. in here. Mm-hmm. From a parent perspective, I need to check to make sure that my student got everything, you know, like, where do I need to help my student? I need to check my student's answers as my, my kid's homework as well. Right. And then the focus really becomes in how did you get there? And we have a couple different ways to do that. In one case, there's just step-by-step explanations. And then there's like the why and the how that students can dig into deeper if they need to better understand. We also have these things called animated tutorials, which are really cool. And something that's like we've been working on really unique to photo math. It's meant to mimic how a teacher explains concepts mm. like on a whiteboard, right? Sure. How they would like to explain it on a whiteboard. So it allows us to be able to use like dynamic movement and visual. It's kind of like creating an automatically generated video for your yeah. problem that shows you, okay, if you're going to do long division, this is, or long multiplication, this is how you carry from the ones place to the tens place. This is what it means for a fraction to be divided by whole and to subtract a portion of it and to really use very clear visual demonstration yep. of it. Or if we're thinking about how do I do the determinant of a matrices, like it actually can write, it can show you and move 
the columns and numbers over and show you the diagonals in a way that a teacher would like to. And for a lot of this, what we're talking about is once you're presented with a problem, how do you really approach it? How do you get into what are the steps necessary? And then allowing the student um, or the parent who's utilizing the app to determine what is the level of help that they need, right? Rather than being very formulaic or didactic about, hey, you have to learn, you know, like, here's the next step, here's the next step. We're going to present you the information and then where you need extra help, you can dig into further. Mm-hmm. Why am I doing this step? If you already know why, we don't move right. <laughs> on, right? Right, right, right. And, and that that's sense. a photo mass approach to how we present and illustrate the information that we're sharing or we're presenting to students. That makes sense. Yeah. And why withhold it if you have it? You know what I mean? There, there's an element of asking those fundamental questions because I think some of those are being challenged nowadays just around what is the learner presenting themselves versus what is presented to them through the aid of other tools. It's a big question around cheating in, in universities and, and like all that kind of stuff where I think the philosophical question around what does the learner need right now and how do they unpack the way to get to the solution? To me, that's more the way humans operate. There's an intrinsic reward to learning that we're all seeking out. And if you can provide a good way to personalize that so that it is very much the way that a good teacher or a good, a good tutor does, you can actually scaffold someone into a comfort zone around dealing with things that are mathematical. You mentioned parents. I would be really curious uh, to hear some of what you might've learned. We've all been going through our, our personal challenges over the last few years around the pandemic response and then thinking through the, the, the hybrid use cases and you're in the home during online learning through these really transformative times. What have you seen from parents and, and any kind of stories you can tell around what it's been like to deliver your solutions through the crucible we've been living through? Yeah, I, as you noted, I think the pandemic was challenging for <laughs> just about everybody and particularly for parents who found themselves becoming the teacher for students that they never thought they would have to be. But even absent the pandemic and remote learning, what we find is parents still need a lot of support. And, and it's for many different reasons. Sometimes it's like, when was the last time we took a limit function? Right. right, right. <laughs> Do you remember all the details? Second, math is taught a little bit differently today than it was for many parents. So right, right. when the student comes home and says, that's not how you do it, right? or that's not the way my teacher explained it, it causes a lot of tension. And parents really do want to help. What we have found in some of our research, though, is that over 50% of parents struggle with being able to explain or understand the math right. homework that their kids are working on. Mm. Um, so this is not a unique problem, right? More than like half of them try to help their student several times, but as you can see, the other, like at the same time, they also don't feel confident in being able to help their students. So what we also find is about two thirds of parents are actually what we would call ed tech advocates, right? They're individuals who would be more than willing to utilize uh, technology, just like they use technology in every other aspect of their lives to help with them, to help them help their students and mm-hmm. to be able to support their students in their learning journey. So yeah. they find a huge need amongst parents. Yeah. And, and it is a place where the same ideas we were talking about before, where, you know, 
you don't want to present as not knowing you you're supposed to know everything and there's a point at which just like father time is undefeated there is a challenge to every parent when you're probably going to have to say you're at my level son or daughter congratulations we're now shoulder to shoulder trying to solve this together i think a lot of parents might have been forced to confront that through the pandemic in ways they weren't necessarily expecting because kids were left to their own devices with online resources. Everybody's in the home together. You have to admit, maybe I don't know, which is why I would be curious about how you think about adult learners and tools like PhotoMath, because it sounds like right now you go right into college, but by the time you're college age, as I was looking at your website, I was like, you know what, even though I'm good at math, I could probably use a little refresher course had the three-year-old on his way, you know, like, how do you get, how do you get parents and the rest of us fluent enough in math? Because it's a problem for the rising generations, but I imagine just digital numeracy is a powder yeah, And I'll just say on two different fronts. So one, personally, as a parent myself, I'm definitely preparing for these challenging math questions that are coming down and even already starting to be like, oh, need to brush off some of those multiplication skills. The origin story of PhotoMath actually is our founder and CEO, Damar Sable, is an engineer. He's, you know, very familiar with technology, very comfortable with math. But PhotoMath actually started because he was trying to help at the time his 14-year-old son with his yeah, math homework. Yeah. And there was this realization of like, if I as an engineer who am very good at math, feel very comfortable with math, I'm struggling to explain it well to my kids, to refresh these things, imagine all the other parents out there and imagine all the other students out there. And when we talk about students, I mean, I think you talked about like, you know, college students. I think what many people don't know is that the average age of a college student in the United States is 25 years old. Mm -hmm. Yes, there are a lot of traditional students out there, 18 to 22, straight out of high school, going into college. But the majority of college students now are actually non-traditional students. These are yeah. adult learners who are going back to get advanced degrees or bachelor's associate's degrees to help increase their economic outcome, to improve their ROI. And for many of them, they actually have to go and take, regardless of what subject they're doing, construction, management, science, nursing degrees, whatnot, they have to go back and they have to take basic math classes. Right. And so for a lot of these students, we actually have a lot of adult learners on our application who are just trying to remember how to take a you know, quadratic formula, <laughs> thinking about linear algebra and, and utilizing, you know, trying to reaffirm those math skills that they can then apply it into the degrees that they are, you know, really trying to focus on to yeah. be able to improve economic outcome, right? Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. So now you have all the other trends you're, you can see on the back end, I imagine, with a platform like this is which areas of math are becoming more hot and more folks are seeking help around. Have you noticed, that, is there anything new and emerging around the, the types of math problems that are getting the most attention? Are there any interesting trend lines that you've noticed over the last few years? Algebra still continues to surprisingly be the number one topic, and it's the most common it is the topic that's most studied in high school. It's the topic that's most studied even in college today. We are seeing some interesting trends also pick up in statistics. It's an area that we want to continue to dive and build our ability to support. Yeah. yeah I would say that those are probably the interesting areas. Yeah. I think you still, as a guy, I'm, I'm still hashtag team calculus, Jennifer. And 
I saw that calculus is still, this calculus frequently stats is replacing calculus in a lot of folks hierarchy. And for me, just it takes all kinds of people. It takes all kinds of maths. It's mathematics is plural for a reason. Let's allow them all in there. But I saw calculus is one that I remember very much being about graphing and charts and visualization uh, to your previous point where, you know, I, some of those dynamic illustrations, geometry is the other one that I, I come back mm -hmm. to. I always enjoyed teaching things that required that sort of visual thinking. And also when I look at a chart or I think about function, it was very fundamental to my math understanding. You cover the full range, in, including calculus, right? Yeah, I should, our, our Matthew, I'm sure is like dying if they would hear this, of course, like geometry and calculus are also very critical areas um, of math learning. And we continue to really double support both of them and expand how much calculus uh, that the application can help with. Geometry is also another really key area. I'm now getting flashbacks of well, high school tests of geometry and cold sweat. So I think maybe that's why I left it out. But geometry is also a really big area and a really big, interesting area. What we're really excited about is like how, from an AI perspective and development, our ability to recognize and understand more and more geometry problems is actually like a really intriguing area from a, a recognition and math understanding area. Yeah, exactly. That's what I thought. Even some of the research I've seen about actually writing in, in handwriting an answer has different connections to your neurochemical activity than if you're typing it or if you're just thinking about it in your head. And that's why I like the idea of uh, leveraging all the functionality of a smartphone to oh, add a D, be your buddy, your math buddy yeah. along the way. We are full proponents of pen and paper. Uh, interesting, even as a very leader yeah. in technology and math, we strongly believe that students continue to need and utilize pen and paper for everything that you just said. There's a lot of great research and evidence that shows that retention is really connected to writing things down and to be able to like work through problems, right? You don't want to work through a math problem in your head. It's really great. Put it down on paper, work through the steps. Sometimes like we encourage people write the steps out in different colors so you can help right. solidify in the memory in different ways. And so when we, that's where I think engagement with a camera becomes really popular as we, a lot of programs and math learning have shifted online to presenting the problem on the screen, solving the problem on the screen. We still fully support, that's great. Present the problem on the screen, work down on it in paper, use your camera then to interpret your work and understand how to continue learning from it. But the pen and paper are kind of a critical part. So we, we like to think pen, paper, and photo math. Yeah. As your like starting toolkit for math learning. I like it just in that use case of sketching something first and then using the augmentation to, you know, the AI to give you the feedback on what you just scribbled is an interesting I hadn't really thought about that use case. And even as an adult, I've been joking about bringing cocktail napkins back for ideation. We're always like sketching on a cocktail napkin. But if we could use something like the Photomath AI to figure out whether that pitch is actually worth funding, we're getting closer to conclusion here. Are there other things out there in the world around you beyond math? You sound like somebody who's had a, been an investor. You've looked at different dimensions of what's emerging in the world around us. Anything out there that's happening that's capturing your attention, it could be related to Photomat, but it also just might be something that our listeners might, might benefit from hearing. But anything out there in the world these days that's uh, capturing your imagination? 
It's a good question. You know, I think for us, we're obviously more and more excited about the power of AI, the scope and breadth of some of these, the data sets that go into machine learning models, the ability to better understand what is the actual problem and questions that students have. And it, it, it goes beyond understanding just the immediate problem in front of them, but what are the underlying questions that the student has on, on the topic that they're trying to learn? And I think we're really excited about that interplay and interaction that can happen between the AI and the student. And that's, I think, what gets the team really excited in the morning and moving forward. And I think that's, you know, we're starting to see that apply broader to all forms of you know, learning, we see some really interesting developments on the language learning side on that front, but we see a lot of applications even on the core subjects, math, science, you know. Yeah. Forward. And then any advice to folks out there career-wise, you're someone who's navigated to a really interesting position in a cutting edge ed tech company. Our listeners may be from any dimension of the, the learning ecosystem, but any advice to folks out there around they're charting their career path, finding meaning, finding purpose in their lives. Yeah, I'm going to go back to something that you talked about earlier, which is that growth mindset, right? And I think for me, the jobs that have been the most fulfilling personally, as well as professionally, have been those where I felt like the learning curve is really steep, where I'm just constantly growing as an individual, where I'm surrounded by individuals who are pushing my thinking, challenging it, asking great questions of me. And so I would say, you know, just to, we talk a lot about the growth mindset in education and really leaning into that and continuing it through one's professional career, I think is like critical and, and been just fun, right? To be in jobs where you're constantly learning and you feel like your mind is being expanded and pushed. Those are, I think those are the most fulfilling environments. And so just trying to keep that growth mindset as you think about your career development, that's my recommendation. That's fantastic stuff. If folks are curious about anything we talked about, is there a website they should go to? Yes. So you can go to photomath.com uh, and check out and learn about the app. And also feel free, as I mentioned, go to your app store or Google Play store. You can download the app for free, check it out, play around with it, and hopefully learn some more math. Awesome. I even saw that if you like to solve math problems, there might be opportunities to do that work, which is something I used to do earlier in my career. And I was thinking, should I start my math problem-solving side hustle again. The, the jury's still out, but uh, Jennifer, it was wonderful having you on the show. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate you having us, Mike. It's been a lot of pleasure to talk about math and education and um, the application of technology to help you know students continue to learn. Awesome. Fantastic stuff. If you like what you're hearing, listeners, please tell a friend, write us a review, do all the good things. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education. 